Do you ever wonder how your favorite country artist got to where they are today? We had no fear whatsoever. In fact, we we probably made a lot of mistakes. People go, what are they doing? They're not ready for this. But we were so hungry to be out there in front of people that we probably should have spent a little more time honing our craft <laughs> before we just dove in. Did success come easy or was it a long, hard road? I wasn't sure I was going to make it at all, but I just kept like the little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. What advice would they give to a young artist? The greatest advice Elvis ever gave me. If you ever forget where you came from, you're never going to get where you want to go. Meet our co-hosts, Candy O'Terry and J.C. Don Valeris. They sat down with icons in the music industry, and you've got a front row seat. Welcome to Country Music Success Stories. Hi, I'm Candy O'Terry. And I'm J.C. Don Valeris. We're back with part two of our up-close and personal interview with Pam Tillis. Recorded at the Glen Campbell Museum in Nashville, which is, well, becoming our home away from home. She's a multi-Grammy and ACM award-winning superstar. Part two of our interview is all about the stories behind Pam's huge hits, like Maybe It Was Memphis, Don't Tell Me What to Do, Shake the Sugar Tree, Mi Vida Loca, and so much more. Pam's also got lots of advice for anyone with a dream to make it big in Nashville. So if you're thinking of packing your bags and renting a U-Haul, listen to this interview first. Okay, let's get to it. Here's part two of our exclusive interview with Pam Tillis. One of the things I've always admired so much about you is your sense of humor. And I always tell people how hilariously funny you are. (laughs) It comes and goes. (laughs) Do you attribute that to your dad? And how important do you think it is to have a sense of humor in this business? Oh my goodness, it's everything. It's not easy. Like, travel is brutal. (laughs) Even being on a nice bus, it it can wear you out. The schedules, there's nothing consistent about it, and your body doesn't like that. Anyway, it's just a lot of pressure. So you got to keep a sense of humor. My grandmother was funny, and Daddy got a lot of her sense of humor. And he also learned a lot from Minnie Pearl. I I name-check Minnie Pearl a lot. Daddy learned a lot of timing and and crap showmanship. But everybody in our family's just got a real quirky way of looking at things. My brother, Sonny, Mel Jr., he's quirky bordering on being weird. (laughs) I always thought he should be, he should write for like, I'm I'm still mad at him. I said, you should have gone to Chicago and started at Second City. He's just brilliantly funny because... My brother could just take this water bottle and just start riffing. (laughs) It runs in the family, and we make each other laugh a lot. We'd love for you to tell us a little bit about some of these big hits of yours. The first one, Mi Vida Loca. I needed an up-tempo song for the band. I had all these hit ballads. I'm like, I better pick up the tempo. And so I'd been touring a lot in the Southwest. And you got to imagine, this is years ago, 30 years ago, and... It was new to me hearing all the Tejano music and going to Texas and New Mexico and Arizona. I had not encountered that in Nashville. It's a very large Hispanic community here now, but back then there wasn't. And I loved it. I'm like, that is happy music. And so, I don't know, I, I was watching uh, Geraldo Rivera and he interviewed a girl gang and, and they were these Hispanic gals and one of them had a tattoo and it said, Mi Vida Loca. He says, what does that mean? And she said, it means my crazy life. And as a songwriter, they teach you write about what you know. And I don't know about, I've never been in a gang, but I know about a crazy life. <laughs> so there you go. There you go. Oh, 
Shake the Sugar Tree. The album was done. We had cut everything. We were out of money. But I got one more tape. Back then we were getting cassette tapes. I got one more cassette tape and I popped it in. Sugar Tree, I'm like, I flipped out. Sugar Tree sounded like I almost had a little nursery rhyme feeling to it. I swear, in my mind, I could see a little kid singing the song, standing in front of the TV watching CMT, <laughs> and all the grown-ups knowing what you were talking about. And I called my producer and I said, we have to find a way to cut this song, so we did. Maybe it was Memphis, my favorite yeah. Pam Tillis song. Thank you. I recorded that twice. I recorded that on Warner Brothers Records. And it wasn't a particularly good version. I had a singles deal with Warner Brothers. They released it. It didn't do anything. It was bad. It wasn't a good version. It had saxophone on it. It was weird. It wasn't, I didn't sing it as well. But all I knew is between the time I had that record deal and the time I got my Arista record deal, I kept singing the song at the Bluebird and every little gig I had, and people would go nuts. What was I supposed to do? Standing there looking at you. Lonely boy far from home. Maybe it was Memphis. Maybe it was Southern Summer Nights. Maybe it was you. So when I got my Arista deal, I took that song in and I said, look, I think I should re-record this. And at the time, so my producer, he goes, well, people never do that. You know, once you burn a song, people think you just move on to the next one. But at the time, Randy Travis had re-released on the other hand. They, re- they put it out one time, nothing. Second time they put it out, it was a hit. I said, well, yeah, okay, it worked for Randy. Let's do it. And then Paul Worley... And that particular group of musicians nailed it to the wall. <laughs> and all I had to do was go in there and feel it. And, uh, yeah, it changed my life. A little attitude song. Yeah. Don't tell me what to do. Hall of Fame member Marty Stewart was back then paying his dues. I think he was on CBS Records. There wasn't a lot happening for Marty yet. He had a few little so-so singles. And he was playing a little club on Elliston Place. And I went to see him. He already had the hair and the suits and everything. He was working it. So I was in, very much enjoying his show, but I'm like, I got to go to the ladies' room. And I, I was walking across the room to the ladies' room. And he, you know, the first chorus had kind of gotten by me, and I was sort of hearing it, you know, halfway paying attention. And then he hit the chorus, and he said, don't tell me what to do. I'll love you forever if I want to. And I stopped dead in my tracks, and I went, that's a hell of a song, but then I thought it'd be really great coming from a woman. So don't tell me what to do. You've already said we are through. I'm a page that you have turned. I'm not. 
I do want to mention this. So I did record that, and uh, and it turned out to be my first number one record. But uh, I want to mention Loretta Lynn that we just lost, and I'll never forget. I'd seen Loretta as a little bitty girl, but years and years later, I was all grown up, and I think we were at some big CMA event or doing the Grand Ole Opry or something. She came up to me, and she says, I knew when I heard that Don't Tell Me What To Do song, I knew I liked you. Because <laughs> that was Loretta's kind of song. Is there a song of yours, and when you hear it, you sit back, and now I'm getting to know you a little bit, your beautiful eyes, your beautiful smile, you sit back and go, that's a damn good song. Is there is there something that really rings your bell when you hear it? I'm really hard on myself. I've always I bet been you are. an irrationally uh, critical person. Like I always want to. I'm really just mad I don't sing like Bonnie Raitt. But <laughs> so sometimes it takes me quite a while after the fact to, before I can really listen to a record in a way that other people hear it. I really love my dad's, uh, the tribute album I did for my dad. It didn't get ra- a lot of radio play because it wasn't top 40 material. But there's some really beautiful moments on that. A song called All the Good Ones Are Gone. I, th- I do think that's one of my better vocal performances. And that song was nominated for five different awards that year. But it's a beautiful record, and I just feel like that was one of my better ones. And her mama Speaking of your dad, I watched a performance of Waiting on the Wind yeah. with your father at the Grand Ole Opry, and it felt like I was a voyeur watching a very special father-daughter moment. You know, Daddy and I's relationship was sometimes complicated. You know, I was very headstrong as a young woman. I think for a long time he wanted to help me and I had to forge my own path and and then I think all entertainers feel a certain amount of competition with each other even though there's no competition with my dad but I think you know he was so used to having all the attention and I don't know there was just a lot of interesting facets and I always I never felt like I could measure up to him you know there was just it was very complicated I'm being very unvarnished now you know, we're very family-oriented, even if we get mad at each other. And he loved sharing the stage with his children. Like, he loved it. And that's what I saw when I yeah, watched it. No, it was so special. And he was so proud of me. The older I got, the more I really realized 
how big his legacy was. It, it was big. It took me a lifetime to really kind of get it. Whatever strength you find in me, I thank my parents for their wisdom, strength, and courage. Send me on a steady course. And when my sails are empty, their words lift me up again. standing next to him so I, I really 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 uh, we lost daddy five years ago it's really terrible you know he's known as a funny funny man a great songwriter he just had the, an effortless great voice and I really I can hear it on record but I really miss standing next to that voice what's the best piece of advice he ever gave you be yourself don't try he said uh, because he picked up Early on, you know, I would listen to a lot of, uh, there's a lot of music I'd copy. Sometimes I'd try to sound like Loretta. Sometimes I'd try to sing like Dolly. Sometimes I'd sing uh, Judy Garland. I love those old movies. And Wizard of Oz, I'd try to sing like Judy Garland or Doris Day. And, and he'd go, you're a little mimic. He said, that's not the right tact. You got to just sing like you. When I really started getting into the business, he goes, and don't forget, he said, don't chase after styles. He goes, let it come around to you. And then other people elaborated on that. They go, as soon as you copy a style, it's old news. Because it takes a long time to record and then get the record marketed and get it out. It's over. You've got to just be original. Well, what a career it has been and continues to be. Seven million albums sold, six number one songs, two Grammy Awards, so many CMA and ACM nominations to count. More than one million people listen to you on Spotify every month. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Fill in the blank. Yeah, thank you. Ah. The key to my success in country music has been what? Hard-headedness. <laughs> you know, I have good stamina, and I think that's really important. In the early days especially, I really did have a fire. I was very self-driven. And then after a while, other people start hopping on board and, and getting behind you. But you have to be self-motivated. I was very shy, and I suffered for years and years and years from stage fright. But I wanted it so bad. And that probably held me back at points in my career. But I just always pushed that some kind of internal override button. 
And I just got on with it. It's like, well, this is what I got to do. With a track record like that, Pam, tell us, over the amount of decades that you've been doing this, you really are an icon. Oh, And gosh, we're very, very grateful to have had you on the show and here at the Glen Campbell Museum. The vibe has been so great. I feel like the yeah. your dad there's some and good, Glenn Campbell. There's some, there's some, some good, good mojo, mojo in, here. in here. I do think that kindness, you know, and believe me, I haven't, I haven't been a perfect person, but I do believe that kindness, I've always stressed to my band, you know, you represent me, my road manager. When you're on the top of your career, at the top of your game, and you have all the bells and whistles and the tractor trailer trucks, at the end of the day, it comes down to a great song and, and how you treat people. You said it, relationships. So I'm just trying to be, but I still feel so humble, like, to be included in some of the company that I've been included in. Well, I want to personally thank you for giving me an opportunity when I first moved to <laughs> town. You. And I want to thank you for being a guest on Country Music Success Stories. It's an honor to talk to you. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There they are, Candy O'Terry and J.C. Don Valeris, two award-winning interviewers who are respected and trusted right here in Nashville. Do us a favor and hit that subscribe button right now and tell your friends about the show. Follow them at Country Music Success Stories and on TikTok at Candy and JC.